Okay, we're going to discuss um, something more related to the parasha, last week's parasha and this week's parasha, and obviously connected to Simcha maybe in general, but uh, character traits and uh, personal outlook in, you know, in general as well. Meaning it's not just about Simcha, it's more about living a life of, uh, of meaningfulness, and uh, and contentment, Bezrat Hashem, and that is obviously Simcha. Uh, that is meaning that's an aspect of Simcha. So, Rav, uh, Rav I've often speak to Rav Gabi Bukatz, uh when when we were learning, when we were working together. When we, you know, we are working together at Yeshiva College, but now we're not seeing each other in, in the in the staff room. But we we share ideas related to this idea of Simcha and Midot. And uh, he messaged me, like, I must have been uh, not long, like at five o'clock or so, five-ish. He uh, said, I've, I gave a Torah to my community last week, and it just hit me that it might be connected uh, to your Simcha lab. So he sent it to me, and I think it is very much connected. I'm going to give, a, like, a synopsis of it, um, uh, which I think is very meaningful. There's a lot to unpack in it. And maybe we'll see, maybe we can unpack a bit. But um, then, so I want to give something on last week's parasha that's connected to Birkat Kornim. Um, but, uh, and then I want to give something on Balotcha, the idea I was intending to give before I heard from Rav Gabi. But we'll see. So we'll share hopefully uh, two ideas. And obviously they're connected, but because uh, everything's somehow connected. But uh, let's let's share two ideas and uh, on last week's parsha and this week's parsha. So the first thing is uh, in Birkat Kohanim. Uh, famously, we hopefully all are aware of Birkat Kohanim. It says Yevrechecha Hashem v'Yishmerecha Hashem should bless you and guard you. Yisashem panavelecha v'chuneka Hashem should lift up his countenance and v'chuneka uh, and be and chaynedik to you. Um, show you chain, show you uh, charm. Um, and then the last one is, Yisa Hashem panav elecha, Yisa Hashem panav elecha, Hashem should lift up panav, his countenance to you, v'yasayim lecha shalom, and give you peace. What is this language of him giving you, showing his countenance to you, panav, his face, v'yasayim lecha shalom, and then place peace on you? What's the connection, let's say, between Panav, his face, and Shalom? Now, obviously, we ultimately are talking about Shalom as in peace, world peace, uh, peace between countries, peace between people. Um, peace that is something that is almost external um, and broad. That's, you know, that's what you assume would mean Shalom. But I think... There's a deeper meaning, and that's the shalom of inner peace, inner tranquility. It's, it's, uh, you see, shalom externally is really almost, you know, in Hashem's hands. Um, to have peace between enemies, to be at peace between war-mongering countries, uh, and that's really daven for sim shalom tova uvrachal. It's such a major tenant of Judaism and such a deep request to ask for peace. But on a more personal level, and all the Birkat Kohanim, by the way, is written in individual language. It's in singular. Yivarechecha. 
that you should be blessed personally, not Yevarechachem, that you communally should be blessed. That's uh, an idea that I brought up in last week's WhatsApp via Torah, Erev Shabbos. But the point is, is that there seems to be a hint to a personalized peace, not just a peace that is external to yourself or that is broader, but rather something more internal. And the Sfat Emet, he explains, uh, the Sfat Emet was a, was a Gera Rebbe, uh, one of the great Hasidic uh, teachers uh, in Europe, and he says that Panav means face, his face, Panim means face, as you can see my face, as I can see some of your faces, Panim, but the word Panim is also Panim, which means internal, inside. So interestingly, what you have is Panim, which is external, the Panim of something is the surface, but the surface of something also has within it Panim, the internal part of it, which is, they seem to be two contradictory aspects that are mentioned in the same word. And uh, how I've always understood it is uh, panim, if you want to understand a person's panim, panimiyut, the internal side, you have to look at their panim, you look at their face. Meaning if I smile, and if it's a genuine smile, you'll be able to see how I'm feeling inside. If you look at my, and I'm frowning, or even if I don't even realize what I'm doing, sometimes you can see what I'm feeling on the inside uh, by looking at my face, by my outside. You won't be able to look at my arm and know how I'm feeling, at least, I don't know, unless you're a Kabbalist, maybe. But if you're a regular person, you can see somebody's internality, their internal world, by looking at their face. So, Rav Vesvatemet, to my understanding, he explains that there's two types of peace. There's the peace of Panav, say the external peace, the peace that we are used to as being referred to here, like a face that is, a, a peace that is beyond us, that is something we see, peace between people, peace between countries, peace in the world. But Panav is also Panim, that there's an inner peace. And that once you gain an inner peace, then it's much more effective or possible to achieve an outer peace. And that's something I've really looked at and studied over a number of years. Um, and thinking about how, until you really explore yourself and try to understand yourself, your external actions, it's very hard to change your external actions until you really understand your internal self. Which is a long, 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 long process that's never ending. To really understand yourself, to really understand your panim, your inside. And once you understand your inside, then you can expect a change on the panav, on the outside. And similarly with peace. If people are at peace with themselves, the likelihood of real peace happening when external to themselves, meaning in their relationships with people, that will be a genuine peace and a more a greater chance of peace. Um, meaning, if um, if uh, you honest with people and genuine with people, then you can because you understand yourself, you understand your needs, you understand who you are. Then you can be uh, true to other people and work out some type of agreement 
that you're not nullifying yourself, but you're bringing yourself into that agreement and making sure that it's a real peace that will work out between two parties. You hear what I'm saying? So that's, the, that's what I'm thinking the Sfat Emet suggesting. That when, we, when Hashem blesses us, this, um, um, He's almost suggesting that we need to look internal. We need to be blessed, I would say maybe first, or also definitely, with an internal piece, and that will come out with the external piece. And let me give you a few examples of Gavi Bukat's actually suggested as to how to work on inner peace. And I think, I want to add, that that will help you have external peace. And one of the examples he said is um, the ability to forgive. Now, we often talk about the ability to forgive others. You know, we, we learn about Yom Kippur and uh, the Shashi Jumei Tshuva, the Aser Jumei Tshuva, um, and we very much are, we understand that you need to forgive others. We ask Hashem to forgive us. We expect and desire people to forgive us. Um, but how much do we forgive ourselves? Meaning, are we willing to forgive our own mistakes or our own failings? Or are we unwilling to be more understanding of who we are um, and, and realize where we're coming from? And if we do, and, have, and if we really understand that and, and internalize how complex it is, how many influencing forces cause our actions or our moods or our emotions to come out, if we really understand that about ourselves and we forgive ourselves for that and we understand ourselves for that, then surely we'll be able to forgive and understand other people for their issues. And that's one of the most clear ways how to feel shalom or to pursue peace is to realize where people are coming from. But I think to a degree it begins with yourself. Because if you can't forgive yourself, it's not so easy to forgive others. Um, it's a more genuine forgiveness because it's a, a forgiveness out of understanding. Um, and I think often we forget about how important that is um, to really be understanding of ourselves. Um, so that's, that's one aspect I want to share. And I think it's connected to another, another level. And that is what are your expectations? Like, for example, I'll give you a, an example for me personally. When I, um, you know, I've, I've just returned to school to actually teaching in, in person some of my students. Unfortunately, Josh, Shana's brother, is not yet um, uh, at school. He's in grade 10, but um, I'm, I'm teaching grade 11. So I teach grade 11s in person and grade 10s on Zoom. And um, it's actually incredibly stressful to go to school, to be honest. You arrive... It's early, it's cold, you have to sign forms. When you go into school, you have to get sprayed, your hands, you get your temperature taken, and that's just the beginning, that's just to get into school. Then you go through like beacons, you drive around, you park, you go down, now it's freezing, hey? it's much warmer inside your house. Now you go down to the hall. The hall at Yeshiva College is so cold that we have to warm up the temperature 
machines, you know those little gun things that take your temperature at your forehead. We have to warm them up because they're too cold to take people's temperature. Um, that hall, that hall to me, I think is the coldest room in the entire world. You got maybe you don't relate to it, but it's like just ridiculously cold with no way of warming it up on a, a real way. Anyway, and then you go through, you sign people in, you take their temperature, you have to wear an apron. Can't believe then I'm late for chakrit because I've signed people in and I'm waiting for them and you're a bit scared and you you sanitizing your hands and then you go to davening and then it's also you late you you have to be away from people then you go to class and you some zoom some real you I was wearing a I was wearing a mask the whole day obviously and then and then you take off the mask to teach and you have to wear this um uh, what they called like a a helmet, a helmeted screen, and I'm busy teaching, and I'm tapping the helmet, and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my word, this is so ridiculous, it's so, so, I actually come home exasperated, I'm exhausted, and I thought to myself, but what are my expectations of this, you know, we, we, was, is it something just so automatic, it's going to be smooth, and, and, uh, you know, easy, we're trying to protect ourselves from an invisible virus, we have to be so strict and so and follow such protocol. It's frustrating. But if we change our expectations, then we can deal with things a lot better. If we think it's going to be easy and smooth, then, you know, it's, li it's likely not to be. So then when I go into the classroom and I think that everything's going to be smooth, change my expectations and it will be, it will be much better. It can be much better if you change your expectations. And now on a bigger level, a broader, deeper level, that's taking, changing expectations in, uh, into account when it comes to, you know, experiences. But what about yourself? How, how often do we, do we um, have such high expectations of ourselves? We expect ourselves to be perfect. That's also something, you know, are we willing to forgive ourselves? Are we willing to understand ourselves? Or do we have such high expectations of ourselves that we just, we expect perfection? And uh, there's a, a professor, um, uh, Professor Jordan Peterson. He's written a book, 12 uh, Rules for Life. And he says, don't, comp um, he says one of the major issues of internal conflict is misguided expectations and he says don't compare yourself to others to someone else who you know you see today but rather compare yourself to who you were yesterday do you hear that don't compare yourself to others how they are today rather compare yourself to yourself how you were yesterday and what that means to me is that we often have expectations of perfection. We think other people are perfect, other people have it all. We are lacking, we don't have it. But if you rather don't, don't, don't have an expectation for perfection, have an expectation for growth. You hear the difference? Meaning, per, uh, as having... Life isn't, a, isn't like a destination where you're waiting to get to a point and only at that point will you be happy, like perfection. You'll never get there. There's nobody in the world that's perfect. Rather, expect yourself to be on a, a process, a path of growth, 
looking for fulfillment and meaning. And if that's your, if that's how you look at the world, that you expect to grow from the world, not for it to all be perfect and rosy, then you'll be able to handle it that much better. Do you hear what I'm saying? And that is something that, in a sense, you, that's dependent on you, not dependent on others. So that's the second point. First point is to be forgiving of yourself. And that will help you forgive others, which will obviously lead to peace. And one of the ways how to be forgiving to yourself is by understanding yourself and changing your expectations for perfection. Rather look at life as, as an opportunity to grow through it as a process, not as an, a destination. And finally, on this point, uh, Rav Bukhat suggested there are three relationships. This is famous from the Maral. We have three relationships. We have a relationship between Adam and Makom, between us and Hashem. We have a relationship between us and others, between Adam and Chavero. And we have a relationship between us and ourselves, between Adam and Atzmo, between ourselves, between us and ourselves. And again, Jordan Peterson said, explained, that you need to treat yourself as if you are responsible for yourself. Now we all know we are responsible for ourselves, but do we internalize that? And to me what this means is that um, I take care of my children, please God, I take care of my wife, I take care of you, I put in effort and time and prepare shiur and give it to you and I care about it and I care about the people I teach, and I care about the people I don't teach, I care about people. But do I care enough about it myself? Do I feel a tremendous responsibility for others? I do. I feel a, a responsibility for the wider community, for my children, for my family, for my parents, etc., etc., for Madrichim, Madrichot, for so many others. But do I feel responsible enough for myself? If it's not for me, who's going to take care of myself? We often put ourselves aside and care more about others than we do ourselves. Now that's very good to be a Baal Chesed. But how kind are we to ourselves? How much do we internalize how we need to take care of ourselves? And my Chidush, what I've learned so much over the last number of years, um, is how important it is to be caring for yourself and make sure you are healthy in the in physically, psychologically, spiritually. And what happens then is then you can be a truer expression of yourself, a truer manifestation of who you are, and then you can help people even more. So my point in this idea is we see from the Burkhard Khanim that first, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They happen together and they can happen simultaneously. You can work on world peace, but you should also be very mindful of inner peace. Because when you work on inner peace, that will help you reflect and express and influence outer peace to others. And it gets broader and broader. And that famous line, you know that person that said he wanted to change, and I heard it maybe in the name of a great god, or I'm not sure, he said, uh, I, wanted to change, uh, I wanted to change the world. So I tried and I couldn't. So then I decided I'll change uh, my country. And that was also too difficult. So I thought, you know, let me go smaller and I'll change my community. That was also very difficult. So I said, you know, let me start off changing my family. 
And that, I like realize that's also seemingly too difficult. I'm not in control of my family. So you know what? Let me start changing myself. Let me work on myself. That's in my hands. And you know what? Once I realized I was working on myself and I was changing and influencing myself, amazingly, I started changing my family. And once I started changing my family and building my family, my family and me were able to work on the community. And once I changed the community, we were able to change the country and so on, eventually changing the world. Meaning, peace starts with oneself. And if you can be at peace with yourself, I'm talking about a real peace, you know, with all the conflict that we have inside of ourselves, and to accept that and forgive that and understand that, then you'll be able to do that with others and hopefully beyond that. I thought it's a beautiful idea, and I thank Rav Bukatz for, uh, for sharing uh, that idea in, in general with me. I don't want to say I'm quoting him verbatim because what he said is, you know, much more profound and clear than what I said, but uh, just uh, that's one idea I wanted to share. The other idea I wanted to share with you and I'm, is on this week's parasha. And uh, I want to share the screen. I've made a little source sheet um, that is uh, an idea that really strikes me in this week's parasha. It's a, very, it's a very simple, in my mind, quite a simple idea. Um, and, that, uh, and it runs through the whole parish. And what I realized when I was preparing for this, I think it, ru- it really runs through the parish. Um, and, and let me explain. And that's what I want to suggest is Balotcha is about second chances. Is about don't give up. Don't despair. Don't lose hope. And let me explain. For me, Balotcha is one of my most depressing parashiot. I'm sure it is for, for everybody, but I'll explain why. If one looks at, you know, Bereshit was the formulation of the Jewish family. Shmot is the formulation, the formation of the Jewish nation. We left Egypt in Shmot. We received the Torah in Shmot, in the book of Shmot. And then we moved on to Vayikra, where we got the mitzvot, many of the mitzvot, we built the Mishkan. We learned how to almost re-enact the experience of Mount Sinai into a, 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 a national uh, experience through the Mishkan, according to some Rishonim. Um, and, uh, and there was Vayikra. Vayikra is really like the covenant between us and Hashem, the central book of the Torah. And then we go into Bamidbar. Bamidbar is meant to be, in a sense, uh, very uneventful. We, we left Mount Sana at the end of Shemot, and we were meant to be in Israel within, under, I think, two weeks it is. We were meant to smoothly transition after spending a year around the mountain, smoothly transition into Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu as our leader, not needing to defeat the nations, and, you know, it would have been the most utopian type of society. But what happened? Balotcha happened. We were so anxious, we were so hesitant to take on the next step, almost of perfection, of, of tranquility, that we, 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 we caused our own downfall. You know when you're about to finish something up, but you just, it, somehow you don't want to finish it, you don't want to... You don't want to take that next step 
And we somehow, if one looks at the parasha, we kept on having obstacles in our way. And a, a short journey landed up being a journey of 40 years. Um, and this we see Bamidbar, we learn how we're going to travel to Israel we, and our campments. We move through it, and then unfortunately we hit Balotcha, which is a number of incidences happen. And then finally, uh, culminating in next week's parasha, which is Shlach, where we have the Maraglim and we can't even, we get told we're not even going to enter Israel. For that generation would die out and uh, will wander the desert and die out. And unfortunately, tragically, the people that received the Torah were not the people, at least most of them, that would enter into the land of Israel. So that experience of living in Israel and conquering Israel was supremely different if the people that received the Torah would have entered into Israel. Now, how did it happen? So firstly, I noticed that in this week's parasha we have the mitzvah of Pesach Shaini. Now, without getting into much Pesach Shaini, we see by Pesach Shaini there's this incredible novel idea that we get second chances. There was a group of Jews that were carrying out the bones of... Uh, of Yosef and the brothers, the tribes, the twelve sons, and they were Tamayim. And they were obligated, we were all obligated to bring a korban, Pesach. Um, that's what we had to do. But uh, there was a group of Jews that uh, were Tamayim Lenefesh. And if you look at the screen in front of you, it says, Vahi Anashim Ashayu Tamayim Lenefesh. There were men who were impure of soul because they had uh, they'd been in contact with corpses, bones, and they were Tamayim. And they couldn't do the Korban Pesach on that day because they were impure. You can't bring a Korban when you're impure. And they came before Moshe and they came before Moshe and Aaron on that day. And without quoting you the rest, they complained. They said, it's not fair that we should lose out. Lama nigara, why should we lose out from bringing the Korban Pesach? And especially since we're doing a mitzvah. Yet why should we lose out? And that response, that request was, was agreed to by Moshe, by Hashem. And they got another chance called Pesach Shani, which a month later they could bring the Korban. They could go through a period of purification and bring the korban on the day when the other people would have to deal with the bones. And, and that's the halakha, that if you cannot get to Beit Migdash to bring the korban Pesach for good reason, you can have another month. So the amazing lesson that the beginning of Balotcha teaches us is don't give up. Try. Ask. Have hope. And maybe Hashem will respond in kind. Have confidence. Don't, don't not try. And uh, I think the, the opposite happens. Because look what happens after, um, in the middle of the parasha. Do you see in front of you, it says, And the cloud of glory was on top of the camp when they traveled from the camp. And then there's this upside down nun, if you look in front of you. When the, the, the ark would travel, the machane would travel. And I don't want to translate and, and spend time on the wording here. 
But I just want you to see that there's upside down noons. And so these upside down noons are almost showing that there's a new era happening. Everything was going very well with the trajectory to go to Israel. And suddenly everything turned upside down. There was before this incident and after this incident. Before this incident, things were obviously not perfect with the Chaita Eigel and many, many different issues, but at least we were on the trajectory and now everything changed. And, with, and look what happens. Just to give you an example. It then starts by here I'm commit onanim, Rabos Nashem. The people started complaining and there's a discussion what that complaint is. But just before we are about to embark on a journey to Israel, which was squashed into miraculous three or so days, they start complaining, we're tired, we're hungry, blah, blah, this and that. We were on the cusp of getting there. Can't you keep your complaints to yourself? Start complaining, start getting anxious, start getting, you know, uh, what's it, cold feet to go into Israel. So what do you do? You blame others, you complain. And this caused, it says, a fire of the Lord broke out against them, ravaging the outskirts of the camp. So now there was a little plague, and some Jews died, and now there was a, a delay. Okay, it's all right, guys. Keep on moving. No, no, no. Three psukim later. Vasafsuf asher bekiboi tavu tava v'yeshuvu v'yivku gam b'nei Yisrael v'yomru miyoch lenu basar. The riffraff in the midst felt a gluttonous craving. And then the Israelites also wept and said, if only we had meat. Meaning, they complained. The Jewish people started complaining again about what? They complained about not having meat. They didn't want to live off this manner. They wanted meat. Suddenly now, so soon they're going to go into Israel. Let's complain. Let's find something wrong. And again, this delayed them because, do you remember what happened? Uh, Hashem sent the slav. Uh, the pheasants and they they ate from it and they were gluttonous and um and they and many Jews died because of it again another tremendous delay just before going into the promised land and fine and not finally but finally in this week's parasha Moshe and uh, Aaron and Miriam spoke Losh and Hora about Moshe at the end of this week's parasha Miriam got Sarat, and if you look at the source in Tetvav, at the very, very end of this week's Pasha, and Miriam had to be isolated for seven days, and the nation didn't travel out of respect for Miriam until she was gathered to the camp. And again, what do we see from here? We see another delay. Another terrible delay. And finally culminating in next week's parasha, send maraglim, send spies to search out the land. Um, and that incident caused the Jews, finally, the cherry on the top, the final hammer blow, the tenth test that we failed, we finally, the tenth act that we really angered Hashem with, um, we couldn't go into Israel. And what makes it so tragic for me, I'm just sharing you how I read this parasha. We were so close, yet somehow 
we allowed ourselves to get into a rut of one mistake after another mistake and then finally the the culminating in, in the spas and there's a lot of psychology in here but I just want to highlight one thing and that is if only we learned from those Jews that asked for Pesach Shani if only we had the belief in a better future we could have actually let these obstacles and these failures and these digressions not hold us down so much we could have put them behind us and said okay let's keep on moving to the promised land but unfortunately we allowed a momentum to take place and that caused us to not enter into Israel and I thought of a correlation there's a lot to say on this and many different perspectives on this but that's something that I've that I feel if only we would have God forbid fallen but then said let's get up let's move forward and if we would have fallen again it's all right don't give up we always have a second chance let's move forward and I think that is a very powerful message um, that uh, that this parasha teaches us and obviously it's connected to Simcha and uh, and living with uh, tranquility and hope because if you really believe that you can get out of a rut because you have hope in the future and you can have a second chance then you're not going to let the terrible experiences that you go through hold you down so that's what I wanted to share with you tonight um, an idea of last week's Parsha connecting uh, inner peace to outer peace and an idea on this week's Parsha showing how you mustn't let yourself uh, gather a momentum which could cause your downfall because you didn't stop and pull yourself up along the way you let it come worse and worse before unfortunately it became too late